Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As I said earlier today, uh, or earlier today, like 20 minutes ago, um, I know that it's, it's Father's Day. And uh, the um, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, just wonderful opportunities for us to uh, express gratitude and love and all that good stuff. Uh, to the moms and dads around us, to sometimes, you know, whether it's for your own or maybe grandparents or maybe someone else's parents who treated you like their own kid or someone else that you just appreciate the way that they parent or, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and I know that we, uh, we have some dads that are here with us this evening. And um, the, uh, one of the things, you know, I was thinking about this this afternoon, um, our dads here at the ring, I feel like, I feel like you guys have a lot of things that you're juggling, and one of them, I believe, is is a call to to redeem fatherhood. And you may not articulate it that way, and you might, you know, whatever. But I think that that like fatherhood needs redemption. It's in our world in general, and so that may not it may not be something that you're you're personally. It's like your mission to redeem this for your child because maybe maybe your parents, maybe your father, like he maybe he was like this really wonderful representation of God in your life. So maybe you're not redeeming it from a, from a bad history, um, but maybe you are. You know, maybe you're trying to redeem for your kids what something that you've had to relearn a little bit. You know. Um, or maybe it's really not even about your family. Maybe it's about the families around you. You know, that maybe your, your friends, your uh, people in your community group, people just in your community in general, your neighbors, your coworkers, and things. Maybe they need fatherhood to be redeemed as well. And so maybe that's something that you're trying to do. But I, I know from, um, from just having relationships with, with so many of you guys that, that you really want to get this right. And the reason is because I, I think you take very, very seriously the call to reveal the goodness of the Father to your kids and to your spouse and to you know, everyone around you. Um, when we did ba- uh, family dedication here you know, a month or two ago, that was kind of the challenge was that you know, Jesus said that he, he has come and, to reveal who the Father is to everyone around him. And that parents kind of have the same thing. You want to reveal the character of, your, of the Heavenly Father to your kids. And sometimes that's through getting it right. And sometimes it's through not getting it right. So even when you're, guys, even when you're not getting it right, you have the opportunity to point your kids to, the, to the, their Heavenly Father who always gets it right. And so you're constantly rerouting them, either displaying it perfectly or um, being confessional and apologizing and you know, that kind of stuff, and then pointing them to the Father. You're just constantly rerouting your kids. And so to the dads here at the ring, I, I know that you take that seriously, and I know that it's not something that you're casual about. And I believe that God's very honored by that. And so uh, thank you for modeling that, especially for, you know, there's probably some guys here who are, are not fathers right now but hope to be one day, and so they're learning from you. 
and uh, so that might make you a little nervous, but you know, don't sweat that. Uh, so to future fathers, um, I think that they would say thank you as well. Um, and I know that Father's Day in and of itself uh, stirs up good, good memories and then sometimes not so good memories. And it's it, kind of like Mother's Day. There, there's a bit of a mixed you know, feeling sometimes that are out, that's out there. Um, but all of this just it points us to the perfection of our Heavenly Father. I mean, He... He is it, you know. And so regardless of if Father's Day is good for you or tough for you or whatever, um, we need to be grateful to our Heavenly Father, uh, who is the perfect definition of fatherhood. And we need to be grateful uh, that we have so many guys around us who are are redeeming fatherhood uh, by the power of Christ at work in you. So thank you guys so much. We love you. We as a church love you, everybody else. Uh, We really dig what you're doing and who you are, and are grateful to know you. Uh, so if you would, if you're a dad, why don't you just stand up where you are, and let's just, let's clap for him. How about that? Everybody loves that, right? Yeah. Good deal. Thanks, guys. Um, and I just want to uh, just kind of op- just take a second and pray uh, along those lines. And so if you would, uh, let's, um, let's pray together uh, under the idea of Father's Day. Um, God, we thank you that uh, I'm so grateful for these men who are here, who, um, who are following you, who were called by you, who love you, um, and you've entrusted uh, these little ones, and maybe not so little ones as they grow up, you've entrusted them to these guys, um, and you, um, you have a deep belief in their ability to disciple and raise kids, to train them up, and their ability to... Uh, reveal who you are to their kids. Um, I pray that today has been filled with encouragement and with love and, uh, and not just the like pat on the back kind of stuff, but the deep encouragement that we all need. Um, I pray, God, that you would encourage them, that you would show them uh, that you're proud of them and that you believe in them and um, that, that even in the times when they come up short, uh, that that's not a you don't throw in the towel. They shouldn't throw in the towel. And, and, uh, and again, that's just another opportunity to point their kids to you, which is, that's the goal. Um, and so I pray, God, that you just bless them today. Um, and uh, for, uh, for those who are not yet dads, I pray that, that this will be an encouraging day uh, to these guys as well. Um, God, for families that are maybe battling infertility, you know, sometimes the the guys overlooked in that sometimes, and so I pray that today would be um, that you would comfort them as well and encourage them in that journey. Um, God, for those who who have really difficult memories of fathers, and uh, today brings up a lot of that kind of garbage. That that you would just be near and comfort and uh, be an encouragement to them as well. Uh, just remind them of who you are and uh, of your perfect goodness at all times. And, um, and God, we do thank you for that, that, that all parenting is really a shadow of this greater reality uh, and how you use parents in our lives to, to provide and take care of us and all those kinds of things. But the most important thing they can ever do for us is tell us about you. And it's through that that, uh, that we are discipled and we learn and we grow and uh, just are thankful, Father, for you as our perfect parent. Um, and just pray, God, as we look at your word in these next few minutes that you would teach us 
and encourage us and uh, that we would be quick to listen. Uh, yeah, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, all right. So um, to you dads who are here, we, we have some Hope of Life magnets down here. Um, this past Mother's Day, we had the same thing, and it was like, there's like barely anybody here. And so we're like, hey, why don't we do the magnets again? So maybe we missed some folks along the way. Or there's probably multiple metal surfaces around in your life that you, so if, if mom and dad both have one, then great, you have two, you know. Uh, we're going we're gonna to donate money in honor of our dads to the boys' home at Hope of Life. For Mother's Day, we gave uh, some money for the girls' home to buy a keyboard because their, uh, like, music is now being a part of the, the rhythm of life there in our children's home. And in the boys' home, we don't really know what we're going to, like, I'm kind of waiting to hear back on some specific, like, a specific need. And every, no matter how many times I ask, I don't really get an answer that I, to what I asked. I get other answers to other things, but not the specific thing. And so, uh, dads, as soon as I know where that money's going to go, uh, I'll let you know. But you seem to know that's where it's headed uh, in your honor today. And so you can pick up a magnet uh, today and put that somewhere that would remind you that we're connected to those kids over there. So... Um, okay, so 1 Corinthians 1, tonight is the last night of the series on consumerism and how it impacts our uh, following after Christ. This has not been a series on materialism. This is about the, the mindset of a consumer and how we're trained in that and how, without even realizing it, sometimes we end up applying that same mindset to relationships in our lives and to our relationship with the Lord. Um, and so next week we start kind of a new thing. We're going to, uh, when the elders and interns and stuff preach for several weeks, uh, and we're going to, I turned them loose in the book of Psalms, except for like seven of them uh, that I, you know, I said, you can't do 23. We've done 23 a lot, you know. Uh, so uh, kind of turned them loose. And so we're going to start that next week with uh, Jake. Is that right? Jake's up first next week. So, uh, so this is the last part of this, and um, kind of been circling around in, in kind of this same little group of ideas. But um, one of the one of the overall themes is really that consumerism is built around um, it's built around self. That all the advertisements and everything that we're bombarded with, and as we as we shop and as we buy things, that everything is kind of revolving around us. And the problem is that we already have a problem with that. You know, we were born into this situation where we have a leaning towards self anyway. Jesus has freed us from the bondage to self, and now he's training us and teaching us how to, how to live like his life, how to literally live his life. Um, being, being drawn away from, like, from self being the centerpiece of everything and him being the centerpiece. And so as we're training and as he's like, you know, teaching us how to do this, um, we're being bombarded with all these messages that tell us that we're the, like, the smartest, most important like, being in the whole universe and that, that you kind of have your own little kingdom. You know? um, and so you know, last week we, I, I talked about authority and how we don't really like that very much. And this is sort of a, a sibling to that same idea. Um, it's, it's the fact that in a consumer-driven culture, we're, we're always being told that we are the expert. That's what they want us to think, that we're the expert. And they're constantly kind of catering to us you know, in, these, in these ways. And, and so uh, the reason I say that is because there are times when our expert opinion is in conflict with whatever we're trying to purchase or buy. And because we are the expert in that situation, 
we just are done with it, you know. So we either quit or we take control, you know. So we quit when, in our expert opinion, this fast food line is taking too long, you know. When you're in line and you're sitting there, and let's say, let's say that you're at Taco Bell, all right, because it's just a train wreck, right? It's constantly a train wreck. Let's say you're at Taco Bell and you have ordered and you're just sitting there and it's taken way, way too long in your expert opinion. Like, you're like, I know how long it takes to make a quesadilla, you know? I don't even know what an AM crunch wrap is necessarily, but it can't take this long to make it, you know? Like, you're, you're sitting there and you're just, you're just getting angry, just so angry, angry, angry. And you're behind someone and you're thinking, like, they better have, like, 65 tacos they're having to make or something like that. And, you know, and what do they do? They just hand them, like, a Diet Pepsi, you know, and they drive away. You're like, it can't take that long to make a Diet Pepsi. Um, and so you're sitting there in that line and you, you're either, you're either going to pull out of the line and just leave because it, you're the expert and you're like, this should not take this long. Or when you get up to the window, you're going to let that little girl have it. You're going to tell her what's up. And because you're assuming the whole time that they're just like messing around, you know. Now it's different. If you go to Raising Cane's and it takes a long time, you, you don't get as angry. Why? Because, because they know what they're doing, right? I mean, if it's taking a long time, it's because that chicken's going to be hot and fresh, you know, whatever. And so you're a lot more trusting because, in your expert opinion, you're a little more likely to yield to the expertise at Cane's than the expertise at a Taco Bell, right? Is it just me? You know, like, you're a little more trusting. You're very skeptical about what's going on inside that Taco Bell, you know? That there's probably nine people standing around. One of them's telling a story, and that's the person making your crunch wrap, you know? And that's just ridiculous. And so, so it, it's all about, like, uh, in my assessment, this is taking too long. Or, in my assessment, this is an appropriate amount of time that's here, you know? Um, there are times when, when you, maybe you, if you've ever been on, like, customer service with someone, and they just keep giving you the runaround. You either quit and you just hang up, or when they finally get around to taking your call, you just, you just rip them, you know, um, because you're the expert. You know, we say, I'm, I'm, I'll never do this again, because in my expert opinion, they don't know what they're doing. You bring a product back, and you're like, uh, I don't want this. I'm going to return this. Like, Is there a reason? And you're like, well, in my expert opinion, that toaster does not make toast the way that it should make toast, you know. I'm the expert. I'm the toast master, you know. I'm was all, all district in toasting in high school or something. You know, you're like, I know what I'm doing, and that toaster doesn't work, you know. And so it's, it's very similar to the other ideas that I've been talking about the last few weeks, except in this case, like, we're, we really are, like, we're the ones doing the assessing. So it's not even about, a, it's, that's why I say it's siblings to authority, but it's a little bit different because we think we're an expert on everything. And so we think we know how long something should take, what efficiency looks like, and that's really what it comes down to is that we want everything to be fast and efficient. And if it's not fast and efficient, we're done. We'll never go there again, we, or we'll, uh, we'll take control, we'll tell the manager off, you know, the, any of that kind of stuff. Um, that's how it is because we are conditioned as American consumers that efficiency and quickness have got to be there. Otherwise, we, we just don't have time for that. And then there are some times when, when the solution to efficiency and quickness and stuff is to, like, is to upgrade somehow, you know. So we want to we wanna better, you, you know, you upgrade from, like, I'm never going to Taco Bell again, so I'm going to only go to this better place. Or um, Walmart drives me crazy, so in your mind, and Target is an upgrade, so you go to Target, you know, or something like that. We're, we're trying to go to a, a, a different store, a nicer store, or whatever store, 
because the efficiency and the quickness is different in another situation in our assessment. It may not actually be quicker, and it may not actually cost, you know, the cost difference might be you know, really huge, but in our opinion, as the expert, like, well, nothing else really matters, it's just what I want. And so, as the expert in this consumer-driven culture, there's a problem when that begins to impact our relationship with the Lord, and here's why. Because following after Jesus seems like the most inefficient thing ever. Doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, okay, to, it's okay to say it. He, his feelings aren't going to be hurt. Like, he gets it. Like, our, why do you think he uses, like, bearing fruit as an illustration for our lives? I talked about it two weeks ago in John 15. Bearing fruit takes forever. It's so slow. It's, it's the crock pot when we want the microwave kind of deal, you know? It's so slow. Transformation is it's just so ridiculous. And so, because it seems very inefficient and very slow, we tend to either maybe kind of quit sometimes, you know? Just kind of give up. Just like, just like getting out of the fast food line, or just like, I'm never going to that place again. We're like, man, I've been praying for like three days about this, and nothing, I don't, I don't even know. So, we kind of stop, you know? It's like I've been trying to memorize this verse because, you know, we're supposed to memorize the verses and I've been trying to memorize this verse and I can't. So, oh well. I've been trying this, I've been trying this, I've been trying this and it's just not producing the results quickly and efficiently. So I'm done. Or I'm going to, like, take control and I'm going to try and, like, improve, the, improve my situation, you know. So we kind of get to where we're like, uh, well, I, you know what I really need? I really need a new Bible. I need a new font to inspire me to read the Bible more. You know, So you get a new Bible with a new font. And it probably doesn't really help because it's just a font. No offense to our design friends. I know, I know it's more than just a font. But it is. It's just a font. You know, like it's not... Or you're like, you know, I really need a new Bible study. I need a new... I'm going to see what Beth has written lately. You know, I can do or... Um, you know, I, th- I think I need a different church. I think I need a different community group. I think I need a different something. I need to break up my routine. I need to, you know, those kinds of things. It's not going to change the speed and efficiency of, like, sanctification, of maturing and transforming into Christ-likeness. It's, none of those things are going to uh, amp up that process. That will not take you from a crock pot and put you in a microwave. It just, it's not going to happen. But a lot of times we just want to give up because, in our expert opinion, it's really just too slow. Um, so I need to tell you one thing before we read the Bible. Um, you are not the expert when it comes to following after Jesus. You might be the expert when it comes to um, a, a number of other things. You may really know your stuff. But you are not the expert in this relationship. Then when Jesus says, come into the yoke with me, let's, come, let's be bonded together, and I will teach you how to live my life, you are not the pro in that relationship. So your expert opinion needs to be surrendered. Your expertise falls way short of the one that you're trying to learn from. 
I know I just said you a lot as though I'm pointing the finger at you. But that it's coming right back at me as well. We are not the experts. We need to be open-handed with our understanding of what it really means to follow after Christ. And we need to listen to Him in the process. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to bring out three things. I'm borrowing some ideas from a sermon I heard from uh, a pastor, uh, a pastor named C.J. Mahaney uh, several years ago. Uh, I was at a conference and he preached, and it was it was a sermon that really that God just used to change some deep stuff in me. And it was a pastor's conference, and and his his whole point was this: he said in the first nine verses we see. Paul's perspective on this church in Corinth. We, we are able to see the lens through which he looked at them and saw them. And the impact that it would have in the rest of the letter. Now, the Corinthian church, uh, and I've taught through this text before, and we've done it in community groups. Corinthian church was just as messed up of a church as you could possibly imagine. I won't even list the things because it would get awkward. Okay, So it was a really, really messed up group of people. And the rest of that letter and the second letter, uh, are, he, he holds our feet to the fire on some stuff. But he does so from this perspective that we're about to, to read. So the opening of the letter, really it sets the stage for everything that is to come. And so I was thinking about us and how we aren't the expert but also how frustrated so many of us are at the slowness and the seeming inefficiency of our growth. And how a lot of times you just want, you do kind of just want to quit. It just doesn't seem like it's worth it. And so if that's weird to hear me say that, then you just need to know it's okay for, to, for that to be said. It needs to be said. Uh, and Jesus is okay with it. Here we have three things uh, that Mahaney brought out about how Paul saw the Corinthians, that I want to kind of flip it around and, and look at how God sees us in the same kind of way. So as the expert, let's see what the expert has to say about our fast, I mean, our, about our slow, inefficient transformation. All right, starting in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, here's the first thing. In those three verses, Paul has a, a divine perspective on God's call on their lives. Divine perspective on, his, on God's call in the lives of the Corinthians. All right? look, at, uh, look at verse 2. This is really where it stands out. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place called upon the name of Jesus. So called to be saints... This is what that tells us, that Paul looked at them and he understood something very important, that Jesus initiated a work in their lives. 
that they didn't, in, they didn't get the ball rolling that G, you know, Jesus did. So it's like in this, in this relationship, you know, like in every, in every like friendship, relationship that you have, I guess if you were to get technical, at some point, like somebody did the, like made the first move, not in a weird way, you know, but someone like initiated like, hey, we should get coffee, or hey, uh, you know, you said this in community group the other day and that was really cool, or hey, I don't think I know you yet, my name is, you know, Josh, or whatever. Uh, there's always some sort of initiation, and God's initiative is not lost on Paul. That God looked at them, Jesus more specifically looked at them, and said, hey, come get into this yoke. Come get into this, like, come, like, bond yourself to me. That's a significant statement. He believed in them. He said, hey, you can do this, come on. They, they were called to be saints. They didn't try really hard. They didn't like, do all the right things. And they didn't you know, get their checklist right and get all their paperwork in order. He called them. He said, come to me all who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And they said, okay. That he had called them. And so what does it have to do with us? One thing... Um, Jesus initiated something in your life. We don't often think about the significance of that, but let's think about the significance of that. I mean, he looked at you and said, you can do this. Come on. He made the first move. He initiated something, and it's his initiative that should encourage us That can't be lost on us. He values you. He loves you. And from that love, He started a good work in you. And every step of the journey forward is His to lead. That you are bound to Him like two animals in a yoke, and He's the one deciding when to, when to go, when to stop, when to go left, when to go right, when to rest, when to get up and work. Whatever it is, it's His responsibility, and He knows that you can cut it. So please, do not shrug that off. Don't dismiss it. Don't come up with a whole list of reasons why that probably happened for other people, but not for you. And just, if you're a note taker, maybe write this down and come back to this later. Um, what, do you, what are you more aware of? His divine initiative in your life or your deficiencies? What are you more aware of? What are you more consistently pondering and obsessing over? You know? Maybe if it's deficiencies, then maybe there's some order that needs to happen there. Maybe a discipline that needs to be built in is really just letting the Lord... I encourage you, love you, remind you that uh, he's the one that started this whole deal, not you. And, and when he starts something, he knows what he's doing. He's not a dummy. And even though you could probably come up with a bunch of reasons why you probably should not have been chosen, you were. And he knows it. And he has never once second-guessed his decision.
That's the first thing we see. Paul had a divine perspective on God's call in their life. And you and I should have the same thing. Like, turn, flip this on you. You should have a divine perspective on His call in your life. Right? That's the first thing. Now, look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He looks at these people. He looks at maybe the most messed up church that's ever existed. And he says, you know what I see all over you? I see grace everywhere. That's the second point. He had a divine perspective on God's grace in their lives. And how much evidence there was. And they're messed up, backwards, needing to be corrected and rebuked and whatever lives. He saw God's grace. And look, look specifically at what he says. Um, like in verse 5. Then in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. He's saying... Um, like you, you really you know him. You've grown in your knowledge of him, and it sh- it shows up. Like the truth that you, the way that, that you talk about the truth, I know that you that you know it. Verse six, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, that he has seen enough evidence and work among their lives to know that God is working among them. Um, verse seven, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. Saying, I see all the gifts at work in your church. In this church that no one would ever want to be the pastor of because they were, so, they were just so messed up. And he's like, I see all the gifts at work. I know that you know the truth. I, it, it, the way that you communicate it, you know what it is. God's presence is confirmed among you over and over again. So the evidence of God's grace, Paul saw it. And so how do we flip that on ourselves? Well... I don't know, same thing. <laughs> like the same goes for us. That even though maybe our lives don't always look the way that we want them to, and, and we struggle with that, and, and we wrestle through that, and it's just it's a difficult thing, that there's still grace in our lives, that God is still showing up in our lives. Probably from their perspective, they're just like, man, we're such a train wreck. God probably wouldn't want anything to do with us. In fact, he's probably not even among us, and we might just be barking up the wrong tree completely here. I'm assuming that there were probably some of them among them who were whispering those things. And yet here's Paul looking at him, and he's like, no, I see God in you in this way, and God in you in this way, and God in you in this way, and this way, and this way, and this way. And then corporately, I see God in you in these specific ways. So again, what are you more aware of? the evidence of grace in your life or your own deficiencies? From God's perspective, does He see deficiencies? Yeah, well, yeah. That's, 
Sure. But do those like far outweigh his evidence of grace? No. Not from his perspective. He looks at you and he's like, you know what? There's stuff we need to work on. And then there's all this awesome stuff. And we would probably have our list of things, but he doesn't, he's not really concerned with our list. You know why? Because you are not a good read on yourself. At least not in every way all the time. You know? Like you think that you know yourself, but you really don't. Your creator knows you. Your creator's in the yoke with you. And so, uh, part of learning to walk by faith and not by sight um, is knowing that his presence with you is never resting, he's never idle. That there's a steady work happening all the time. That even when you are asleep, God's grace is working in your life. And that's, I know that doesn't make sense. But think, I mean, think about it. What's, hap- what's happening when you're sleeping? The whole world is going on without you. And everything's okay. That you're getting what you need and your Savior is watching over you. That you're not having to control everything. You're not having to make decisions. You're just having to rest in Him. You know, that's grace. That's evidence of His grace, the fact that you get to sleep. There's so much that's going on, you need to know that in the yoke, He is never idle and He is always at work. So what seems really inefficient to you and slow, it is slow, but it is not inefficient. Because He's steady and He's constant. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. So although we all think that we're the expert, we are not. We surrender in that, in that case, and we're like, well, just because I can't see the fruit that's, that is growing in my life, just because the, the bloom is not there yet, or just because the fruit has not become evident, does not mean that nothing is happening. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. And when we get hung up on sight, all we see are our shortcomings because we're really, really rough on ourselves. And so another practice that we need is like listing, naming, praying for, thanking God for, boasting about the evidence of grace in our lives. The fact that He is showing up and He is working and there is change and there is growth and even if it's slow, it's happening and that's all that matters. Yes, sometimes we're doing things that are slowing that growth down. We spent a few weeks this past semester on the parable of the sower you know, and how the different things in the soil impact the growth and that kind of stuff. Yes, we can, we, can, um, we can slow down the process and hinder it and all that kind of stuff just by being dumb. So just don't be dumb, you know, <laughs> like, there it is. We're not going to speed it up necessarily. And so it's so much about cooperating with God in our own growth. But don't sit around and just think that you're just the worst ever because of all this kind of stuff when the whole time your God is showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up. So He's always at work even when we don't see the results. So don't quit. You know? Don't drive away. Don't return the product. Don't give up on, on whatever. 
you, you keep praying, you stay in the Word, you stay in community, you, you like the things that we'll talk about this summer in community group, you dig into those things, you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And you have to reject the idea that this is inefficient and just not, not good enough. And yield to the expert in the, who's in this relationship with you. And if you look over to him next to you in the yoke, and you're like, is this going okay? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Keep going. So his perspective on you, he initiated something in your life. There's evidence of, of his grace at work. And then look at verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 7. Give us a little running room. So that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at that phrase in verse 8. He will sustain you to the end. It's the third point as I, as I close. Paul had, he had this divine perspective on God's faithfulness to this congregation. He knew that they were going to be okay, not because they were, okay, they were like awesome people or whatever, not because of them. He knew they were going to be okay because Jesus had initiated something. And because there was all this evidence of grace and because he would sustain them to the end. And so here's the encouragement for you. Jesus always finishes what he starts. He's not one of those like do-it-yourself home project guys that like starts something and then gets distracted and goes and starts something else. He gets distracted and does something else and has all these like unfinished things all around the world. No, like he's like, no, I'm going to start this and I'm going to see it all the way through the end. For every person who wants to get in the yoke, that's what he's going to do. He's that big. So no matter what your life looks like, if you're like, I'm a like, Corinthian church level train wreck right now. He's like, yeah, but he'll sustain you to the end. He'll see you all the way through. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completions. Philippians 1.6 So what are you more aware of? The immediate situation in your life? Or the eternal situation? Are you so consumed with the here and now that you lose sight of that there's this big story being written and you're a part of it? And he started something and he's doing something and he will finish something. That in these first nine verses we see the past, present, and future of this congregation. And therefore Paul goes on with this letter and he's like, okay, now let's, let's have some real talk. Knowing that God started something and he's doing something and he's going to finish something, uh, now let's make some adjustments. And the same thing goes for us. So if you feel like you are the expert on progressive sanctification and transformation into Christ-likeness, and it's just not like fast enough or, or uh, efficient enough, or you're just wanting to like, take control or quit or do all this kind of stuff, and if you give up and you give up and you give up, read back through these nine verses. Maybe Jesus wants to, um, maybe he wants to speak through the text to you. Maybe at some point you can sit down on your bed with your Bible Read these verses, and maybe Jesus will whisper to you the same things he whispered to Paul. Maybe he will whisper to you that, maybe he'll say, I started something in you. Don't shrug that off. I, I took the initiative. I believe that you can do this. And I am at work, and you are changing. You are growing. You are 
you are becoming more like me. You just may not see it, so don't get don't obsess over the the change and the fruit and the evidence and all that kind of, don't obsess over that stuff. You just need to know it's there and let me show you the evidence. And you need to know that I'm not giving up on you and you're not getting out of this yoke. So you don't even don't even entertain those kind of thoughts. You keep going with me. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Do the work, you know. Like get the rocks out of the soil. Do the things like don't hinder that growth, but you just don't need to give up. Because you're not the expert. He's the expert. And so there are times when you just need to go to someone who knows what they're doing. And say, hey, what, what do I need to do about this? So remember, in the yoke, you're not the expert. He's the expert. And he believes these same things for us as he did for the church in Corinth. And so I hope that you are encouraged by that a little bit. I hope that you are discouraged in your desires to sometimes just give up. Or half-heartedly pursue some of these things. Um, and so I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a little bit. and um, We're going to have the same thing we've done throughout this series. Have a couple of ways to respond. Um, you can sing. You can come kneel and pray at the front. Taylor is our elder today. and He'll be serving communion. Um, and this is the kind of communion where you, you step up. You break the cracker off of the... You break your piece off of the bigger cracker. And you dip it in the, in the juice and you take it. And by doing that, you know, in part what you're saying, I'm not the, you're saying I'm not the expert here. So if it would benefit you to come to your Savior and Him say, hey, this is what you need. As the expert, this is what you need. And you say, yep. Maybe that's what you need to do. So there'll be some movement around the room, and that's good, but uh, let's just steward these few minutes well, and uh, we'll sing stuff like that in a second. So uh, let's all stand together. And when we start singing, you can go ahead and move forward. Uh, But let me pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful that that we have the scriptures, and especially in times when you look at uh, some people who were, they were getting some stuff right, but then there's some stuff they weren't getting right. Um. your care for them is pretty, pretty amazing. I'm thankful that you gave Paul the right perspective on them as their, uh, as their former pastor. and uh, That was from that perspective, from, from understanding your call and your, uh, your grace and your faithfulness, that he was able to write the rest of those letters and love them well. And I just ask, Father, in these few minutes that you would you'd help us to see ourselves uh, the same way. That you would help us to resist the urge to make ourselves an exception to these things. And help us just to rest in the reality that you have begun a good work in us. And you are working whether or not whether we see it or not, or feel it or not, or whatever. And that you will sustain us to the end. I pray that you would encourage us through these, uh, this, the scriptures and through these ideas and through these songs. And that you would just help us to have the humility to see ourselves this way. It doesn't, it doesn't take... 
Or the arrogant cannot see themselves through this lens. Just the humble that you give grace to. So in these closing moments, um, help us to be responsible with whatever it is you may be stirring, to respond in prayer or singing or communion or a mixture of those things. And we just respond in faith. And uh, yeah, we love you.